it's Natasha Crane. I know it's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to put out an episode here. I have to apologize for that. I think that maybe I got a little ambitious thinking I could do an episode every week while I'm trying to write my next book. Again, it's called Faithfully Different. It's due to my publisher in uh, mid-July. I'm hoping to get it done a little bit before then, and it will be out in February. But during that time, I might not be able to get an episode out every single week, but I'll try to do my best to get them out as often as I can. So something I write and speak a lot about is critical thinking. I like to encourage Christians to think logically about worldview issues, as I think that that is a fundamentally important skill in a really confusing culture like ours. And it's also something that I know a lot of Christians do want to do well. My episode on critical thinking that I did previously was by far my most popular one to date. But there's something that often goes unsaid in these discussions, and some personal conversations that I've had lately with people have really highlighted this for me. And here's the thing. Not everyone actually values good logic and critical thinking. Sounds like a big gasp a moment there. But many people think emotionally rather than critically, and that has a lot of implications for us as Christians. It's not enough to learn to think well in a confusing culture. That's a topic in and of itself. But we have to learn how to think well and how to deal with the fact that a lot of people today don't even care about thinking well. So that is what today's episode is all about. What I want to do is walk through three general principles of mindset for us as we consider the fact that we want to think well in a culture that doesn't think well. And then I'm going to go through five principles for engaging with people when you're trying to do some good logical critical thinking and you're finding that the person that you're talking to is thinking from a very emotional place. And so I want to give some thoughts on how to best handle that. So let's start with some principles for our mindset, how to think well about thinking well in our culture. Here's the first thing that has just really been top of mind for me lately. It's that good logical thinking is first and foremost important for your heart and mind. It's not just about engaging well with others. So this is something that I really hadn't given a lot of thought to until recently. And this realization has been a huge game changer for me in the way that I view this subject. And here's why. If you work hard to engage with others using careful thinking and you feel like you repeatedly fail to make headway in conversations, it can seem like there's no point to it. We just want to throw our hands up and say, okay, you know, everything seems to be illogical. This is going nowhere. Why even deal with it? And my sixth grade twins in homeschool, when we were talking about logic in our logic class one day, they even brought that up because we've looked at a lot of examples of uh, poor thinking in culture, and we've talked about that. And they just kind of said, well, if you work really hard to be a good thinker, but the culture around us just doesn't even care to hear what you have to say, then why should we be learning all this stuff? I think that's a really great question. And here's what I said. 
First, just because you keep hitting walls doesn't mean that you always will. Sometimes you have breakthroughs in conversations, and sometimes you might not even know the impact you've had. If you engage with people in conversations online, in person, wherever it might be, sometimes people can feel defensive when you're kind of pushing them a little bit on their thinking and asking questions and and trying to make a productive conversation, and you might not realize that you actually did get them thinking, and later that might actually be beneficial to them. But more importantly for this particular point, even if you never had a conversation with someone that positively affected them in terms of helping them think better, good thinking is important for guarding your own heart and mind. So for example, I think I've mentioned before that the book that I'm using with my sixth graders is called The Fallacy Detective. And it goes through something like 36 weeks of different types of fallacies. It names them and gives examples. But I've always told my kids, you know, the point of learning the names of these isn't so that you're in a conversation with someone you say, hey, that's a red herring. Oh, that's a hasty generalization. Oh, that's the genetic fallacy. Sometimes, depending on the context and the group of people, people that we're dialoguing with, that is acceptable. But by and large, the point of learning about logical fallacies isn't to call people out on it. It's so that you see the problems in thinking and you understand the kinds of problematic thinking that sometimes people have, including ourselves. None of this that I'm saying is to say that if you're listening to this or if I'm saying this, that we're always the ones with good thinking. I know that we're trying to think well. And so that's really my point here. For those of us who are trying to think critically, to think well about these things. We want to be able to recognize when there are problems in a logic flow where these fallacies are an issue so that we aren't swayed by bad thinking. We really want to be able to take every thought captive, as the Bible says. But the world's arguments can oftentimes sound really persuasive even though they're based on some bad logic. Popular ideas like be true to yourself come to mind here. It doesn't take a lot of critical thinking to see that if you extend that idea all the way to its logical conclusion that it just doesn't make sense. If I say that I'm being true to myself by murdering someone, obviously no one's going to agree with that. So no one's going to take that all the way out. Obviously being true to yourself cannot be a concept that applies to everyone in every way. So when you start to think well about these kinds of topics, it protects your own heart and mind from being misled by some bad secular logic. And this is important from a biblical perspective so that we can have discernment. So that's the first big point that I wanted to share is just that it's not just about engaging with other people to have good critical thinking. It's about protecting your own heart and mind. The second thing that I want to say is make sure you're maintaining the right motivation for thinking well when faced with poor thinking. So when you start to see the many logical problems with mainstream cultural thinking, it's easy to become prideful, to think that you're somehow better than others because you're seeing things that they don't. And frustration can set in and it can really impact how you end up engaging with people. We have to constantly check ourselves. Am I responding right now to this person because I want to show that I'm right? Do I just want to put myself somehow in a position above this other person? If so, we need to stop, full stop. That is not the right heart. 
Or ask yourself, am I responding right now because I've seen the same problematic thinking something like 20 times this week and now I'm ready to dump on the 21st person? No individual is a dumping ground. Every individual is an image bearer of our great God. We have to constantly be mindful that these aren't just anonymous people when we're dealing with people online. These are real individuals and they're not just places to take out our frustration. The right question to ask every single time is, am I responding right now out of love for others rooted in a love for God? Is what I'm going to say right now going to glorify God? Those are big questions and they should feel intimidating to us because if we are not representing God well, then we should be stopping ourselves right then. And I think asking ourselves an intimidating question like that is well worth it every time we say something. It is a really helpful filtering tool. And I say that because I am always trying to do this myself. I don't always do it right, but I'm always using this as sort of a first filter before I respond to someone. That doesn't ensure you're going to have the right tone, but just Checking your heart in the first place is a really important first step. The third point about mindset is be sure to maintain humility. This sounds like my last point, but it's not the same thing. In the last point, I'm talking about making sure we have the right motivation. But in this point, I'm talking about the fact that multiple people can be thinking well about a given subject and still come to different conclusions. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going all relativistic on you and saying that there are contradictory claims that can be true at the same time. That's not what I'm saying. But just because someone disagrees with you, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the lone wolf who's thinking logically and everyone else is in a logical mess. Good logic is about how you arrive at reasonable conclusions. It doesn't mean everyone will arrive at the same conclusion. So it's important to separate the process of thinking from the conclusions of that thinking. Bad thinking can definitely lead to bad conclusions, of course, but good thinking can sometimes lead to multiple possible conclusions. So we have to maintain a certain level of humility in not chalking up every person's differing conclusion from ours to, oh, they must just not be thinking well. I'm thinking logically and they're not. Let's go on now to talk a bit about principles for engaging with people who are thinking from a more emotional place. So I want to share five of these, and I probably could have come up with a whole lot more, but these are the ones that were top of mind for me uh, based on some of my more recent interactions where I've really encountered a lot of this. And this is probably my number one. Stop expecting others to value good logic. That's so important. Stop expecting that others value good logic. Not everyone does. And and I say that with a little bit of surprise because I, I think that I have assumed for a long time that everyone values good logical thinking. So if we can all just get to a point where we've ironed out the logical issues, we're going to be able to have these amazing, great conversations. But for a lot of people today, Logic itself is considered to be oppressive. Knowledge is seen as a social construct that is a weapon in the hands of oppressors. And so they see it with skepticism. 
So we saw an example of this last summer. There have been lots of examples, but one stands out to me, that the Smithsonian's National Museum of History and Culture, they they had made headlines because of a graphic they put on their website under the so-called whiteness section of their talking about race portal. And this graphic had a whole bunch of allegedly white value examples. And one of them was, and I'm quoting, objective, rational, linear thinking. That was listed as a white value. I cannot imagine anything more racist than claiming that rational thinking is something only white people value, but I'm not going to go off on a tangent about critical race theory right now. My point in bringing it up is that it's just important to realize that just because you spot bad thinking, it doesn't mean the person actually valued thinking well in the first place. So part of the challenge today is that People aren't always thinking very critically, and they're not even valuing good thinking. So it's not just a place of let's get everyone to to think well about a subject. Right now, we're not even on the same page about whether or not critical thinking is inherently a good thing. For some people, this quote-unquote objective, rational, linear thinking is actually oppressive. So we have to adjust our expectations and go into conversations understanding that not everyone is thinking that thinking well is even a good thing. The second principle I want to share is that asking questions to reveal problems in thinking can inadvertently put people on the defensive. I'm going to say quite a bit about this one. So in a lot of conversations, one of the most important things that you can do is ask people what they mean by certain terms. So if you have followed me for a while on Facebook or through my blog, you've probably heard me say that a lot, that a lot of times we're just not even talking about the same definitions of words. So we have to get on the same page. So for example, if someone says that Christianity is judgmental, that's a conversation that's going nowhere if you don't stop to first ask what they mean by judgmental. You can end up talking on two completely different planes if you don't establish that. So the more that you ask questions to dive into what a person means, the more you can come to a shared understanding and sometimes show through asking these clarifying questions that there are problems in the logic. Greg Kokel talks a lot about this in his really excellent book, Tactics, and I I recommend that book to everyone who is interested in how to engage well in these kinds of conversations. But I've noticed something recently about this strategy. It's effective for people who seem to have a shared value placed on logical thinking because they're ready to engage on those terms. They're ready to answer your questions. They're ready to ask you questions back. It's a shared value. But when people are thinking from a more emotional place, a series of questions will often make them feel confronted because it puts them on the defensive. So as an example, my husband and I have a Facebook friend who is basically on the far other end of the worldview spectrum from us in every way. She's an atheist. She's very woke. She engages in new age practices like channeling energy through rocks, though I'm not sure how she reconciles all of this in her worldview. But when my husband has tried to just ask questions to further understand what she believes and why in response to some of these posts, it's met with just utter disdain. And They're really good, reasonable questions that he's asking. They're not snarky. They're not trying to win a debate. They're just genuine questions that he is giving to her. And it's clear that she resents it. And she responded by basically saying, you are crossing my boundaries by asking me questions. 
She doesn't want to debate. She doesn't want to have any kind of engagement. And she's offended that we would even ask those questions. So he's not asking her to debate. He just wants to understand what she believes. So this is actually very consistent with a lot of woke type thinking today because there's an emphasis on personal experience. You can't argue with experience. So to ask questions is to imply you're literally questioning the rationale for belief. And that's totally off limits. I've had someone recently accuse me of gaslighting for the same reason, that by merely explaining what I believe and asking basic questions about what someone else believes, I'm supposedly trying to psychologically manipulate them. So all of this is to say that the questions tactic works well with those who value the same nature of conversation, but with those who are thinking from more of a place of emotion, it can actually have the opposite impact on a conversation of just shutting things down. So in those cases, like the one that I described uh, that my husband and I had, a couple of things I think are more helpful. Number one, take the conversation private. Yes, I realize that they're making themselves publicly available if they're posting this on social media, which theoretically should invite people to comment, but not everyone who posts on social media welcomes somebody coming along and challenging them on what they post. So if this is something important, this is someone you know, this is someone you want to engage with, take the conversation uh, private and be able to talk to them offline about it when there's no fear of embarrassment because you're asking questions they can't answer things like like that. And number two, if you are going to do some kind of social media comment drop off, if you, if you just can't help yourself or even you think that it's a valuable thing to do and you're going to do that on the public page, make it a statement rather than a question. I think that because a lot of people do feel like they're on a defensive if you start to ask questions, even as gentle as they might be, it can be a lot more helpful to just say from my perspective or based on my experience and just leave a statement there. That way it's less of you questioning and challenging and it's more of you saying, hey, this is my experience, this is my viewpoint and sort of talking about it in the same way that they are. Number three, When you sense that people are speaking from a place of hurt, lead with compassion. So I don't know if you saw it, but there was a viral TikTok video that was going around recently with a progressive Christian talking about how Jesus was supposedly a racist. And of course, if you listen to it, he doesn't understand the passage he's talking about, and it's easily refuted with some context, and several people have set out to do that. But honestly, what I saw most of all was the way he delivered his comments. There just seemed to be so much hurt and bitterness there, and I actually thought he was going to cry while I watched it. When you sense that someone is speaking out from a place of hurt, they need to know that you care about their feelings before they're ever going to care about your logic. So take the time to acknowledge anything that you can about how they feel. If appropriate, tell them that you grieve with them over whatever the situation is. Tell them the subject matters to you too, if it does. Tell them that you understand why someone who has experienced X, Y, and Z would feel angry and sad and bitter. Try to establish compassion, and not just so that you can then wield your logic tools. Again, we're all image bearers of God and we can't lose sight of each person's humanity. But sometimes people just need to be heard in how they are feeling, the emotion of it, before they're willing to think about anything from a more logical end. So maybe in the future there will be a time when you've earned the trust of that person, having genuinely cared, and then you can have some harder conversations if needed, if this is a truth issue, if this is something that you feel the burden to share with them.
That brings us to number four. The fact that others speak from emotion doesn't imply that you should respond with emotion rather than logic. Can I just say that this is so, so hard? I received what I think is one of the most encouraging comments ever today from someone who follows my author page on Facebook, and they just commented something to the effect of that they really appreciated that I handle disagreements on my page well and that I handle it calmly and in a God-honoring way. I, I have to tell you, I don't in any way share that because I'm bragging, but on the contrary, I'm telling you this to admit that I have a fiery personality, which probably comes through more in my podcast than it does uh, on my page or in my writing, and it's not my nature, not even a little bit, to respond calmly. So to see that comment was actually a great relief because I have to try really hard to be measured in my responses to emotional comments that do often show up on my page, and I know I don't always succeed. Sometimes I can see that my frustration is peeking through. I'm not asking those questions about am I glorifying God to the degree that I can before I post this. And the, the fact that on the whole, someone thinks that I am calm and measured in my responses just felt like a great victory over my basic nature. It is hard to remain calm when people are being emotional in their comments, especially if you're being attacked. And the easiest thing to do, honestly, is to respond emotionally to emotion. When others are fired up and they insult you, they insult your beliefs, they insult Jesus, it is so easy. It is the easiest thing to puff ourselves up with that same emotional fuel and just fire away. But we will walk away with regret every single time. And honestly, if we're not feeling the regret from having engaged in some of the negative ways that we've all seen happen online, we might be sitting in a very prideful bubble. So remember, always come back to that question. Is this bringing glory to God himself? Don't match emotion with emotion. Just don't rise to that level. And finally, number five, if a conversation goes sideways, even to a very large degree, there may not be anything you could have done differently. My point here is not to give myself or anyone else a license to chalk up broken relationships to something like, well, I did my part and clearly it's the other person's fault, so I'm good. That's not what I'm saying at all. Every one of us is a work in progress and can stand to improve in many ways. But there are times when no matter how hard you have tried to be reasonable, loving, thoughtful, compassionate, godly, everything else, the other person will hate you for the very idea or truth you hold. Those who value logic and critical thinking are able to discuss different worldviews and ideas without being threatened. They're interested in getting toward what's true or what's best given what's true. But there are a lot of people today who are only interested in telling you what they think is morally acceptable to believe. And if that's not what you're going to believe, the ultimate judgment is made on you. You're a horrible person, not worthy of anyone's time. You must be canceled, even if it's on a one-to-one scale. The hypocrisy in a culture that loathes judgment is incredible, but this is the way that it is. So I just hope with this last point to encourage you that 
just because someone's mad at you. Maybe they don't want to talk to you. Uh, maybe they've responded very hostily to you. It's not always your fault. It's not always something that you could have done differently. Sometimes that is just the nature of the discussion. That's sometimes just the nature of what happens when you're trying to meet with someone logically and there's a lot of emotion that's coming back and there are all kinds of reasons that that can take place. But I just want you to know it's not always you. So that's all for this episode. I hope that some of this has been helpful to you. It is tough out there. It is tough having these conversations. It's hard to engage well. I know that there are a lot of us who really want to honor God in our conversations and to think well about these things and to just share truth and engage with people in ways that will bring glory to God. And it's hard. So I hope that this has been some encouragement to you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute and share it with a friend and if you would be so kind as to leave a review and or a rating on apple Podcasts, if you use that player i would really appreciate it it really does help people find the podcast based on the algorithms and the rankings so i would really appreciate your time in doing that just as a heads up my next episode is going to be on finding the balance between unity and truth in the church. And that's been a top of mind question for me lately. I keep seeing these debates going back and forth and I want to share some thoughts on that, on balancing that unity and truth. So until next time, take care and thanks so much for listening.